Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Who's excited to be in church today? Because this is going to be the best thing that has ever happened to you today. Thank you, sir. Uh, first of all, I want to say, hey, we are streaming from the building today for the very first time. I'm super excited about it. So our church services will be starting at attend with worship everybody on the street today thanks for tuning in for all of you that are here today i'm super excited for you because we are going to start a brand new message series called out of the cave and we are going to talk about depression right and uh, there's notes the notes are back if you have a three ring binder uh, begin to bring it if you need a three ring binder they should be around here someplace Grab your notes, stick them in there, bring it every week, and we will supply you with notes. The notes for today, they usually are fill-ins, okay? But uh, I chose not to do that today because I really want you to focus in on what we're talking about. Because if you struggle with this, with depression, today and next week will change your life. My whole job in life, my, I feel like my whole focus in life is to help people beat this thing. Because when, when, when you grow up with it, and you don't, nobody tells you anything, they just kind of shove you aside, push you in a corner, and tell you that you're nuts, it, it really is not helpful. Amen? <laughs> really doesn't help a lot. And it really kind of grew up thinking you're sideways was weird, and it really is, is tough. Uh, I know when I found out that I'm not different, I'm not weird, I'm not crazy, uh, that I can control this, everything changed. Everything changed in my life. Now, this series is, some, is coming out of a book, like most of my series are. I'll like, get a book and then I'll preach it to you. Um, this book is being released this week, and there's, I have a distance mentor. His name is Chris Hodges. He pastors a church in Alabama. And he wrote a book about this called Out of the Cave. And I, I would encourage you to get it. It's being released this week. All of this information in the series comes out of that book. Okay, and he's a pastor, he gets it, right? Did a lot of study, a lot of work, and he said, this is just good information. Amen? Are you with me? So when I was in high school, I was, uh, uh, I've been through a lot of therapy. I've dealt with uh, depression my whole life. And, and when I mean dealt with it, it's, it's crippling, it's painful, and it can really mess your life up. And if you, here's the good news, though. You can control this. I remember when I was a teenager, right? I, I played sports because there wasn't anything else to do. We didn't have phones, didn't have computers. We had five channels on the TV, right? And you know, the president was on, forget about it. You were outside. So we played a lot of sports. And I remember in high school, uh, I, I really wasn't doing well grade-wise. Uh, so that's all I had was sports, and I got injured. I hurt my leg, my knee, and I was kind of struggling with that and dealing with pain and suffering and having all these issues. Um, I just, there was this lostness that showed up. 
and it really affect, affected me. And for anybody who grew up in the 70s and 80s, what did people, you know, older people tell you when you were struggling? Ah, oh, get over it. You'll be all right. You'll be fine. So what happened at a young age, I had lost my father when I was 13. So this loss, this, this pain, this suffering, this just like the wet blanket around you and it just got tighter and tighter and tighter and, and I didn't have anybody to talk to. So what did I do? I did like most people do. I medicated with alcohol, with drugs and rebellion. And I was like, the, what happens is, is when this darkness and this loss is closes in on you, the first thing that you want to do is rebel against everybody and, and, and fight and you're just angry and you're, you know, nothing is right in your life. The wires are completely disconnected and you're mad at everything and everybody. And you know, like I said, the first thing you want to do is fight, fight, because you're, you're angry because you just can't get a hold. It feels like holding on to a bar of soap or something. You just can't get a hold of your life, right? Uh, it went through a whole bunch of different things and struggles and everything was a fight and going through jobs and, you know, then I got saved. And then I thought, this is it. I'm going to be free from this thing. How many of you know? When I got saved, I got saved, right? The depression was still there. And I still had to deal with it. And I still had to fight it. And I had a spouse who was just on my team trying to help me and trying to get through it. But most everybody that I talked to and the therapy I went through was get over it. Just cheer up. That's all you gotta do is just cheer up. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen. You can't. You're, you're, the wires are disconnected. The, the functioning of your mind isn't working, right? And I remember um, several years ago in 2018, there was a rash of pastoral suicides across our country. And at the time, I remember there was one in uh, Chino, California, pastor of a church. He died by suicide. And I was like, holy cow, somebody needs to do something about this. This is terrible. It really just hit a nerve with me. It struck a nerve and uh, really touched it. And, and it was like, man. And, and I know, you know, when pastors gather up, you know, we all kind of look at each other and we all kind of know what each other's going through. And everybody goes, you know, pastoring church is easy and dealing with people and stuff. It's like, you know, when you are a pastor and you deal with depression, it's like a compound uh, slam your finger with a hammer, right? It's just the worst thing. So you all kind of look at each other and you know, but nobody really talks about it. So it really was bothering me. And then I heard a, a podcast about a year ago of the wife of this pastor was talking about how he just struggled his whole life. You know, he just couldn't turn the corner with depression. And I'm thinking, this is a man who serves God. And I'm like, I'm a man who serves God. And I'm like, everybody who saves serves God. How can we beat this thing? What does it take to get past this? And we're going to see today, I want to give you, uh, share with you some thoughts on how we get into the cave this week. And, and I want to show you how you get in so that when you see these things, when these things happen to you, you can say, hey, I see it coming. I can see the darkness closing in. And I can, and you can make a change. You can save the ship from sinking before it goes all the way down. Because, uh, and, and a lot of this, let me tell you, in the next two weeks, I am speaking from experience. I am going to be 29 years old next May, uh, right? Woo! And I've dealt with this for a long time, 
and I've used a lot of different techniques through a lot of different books, but the biggest one, let me tell you this, the biggest one, if anybody's ever had an addiction, you know the first thing you have to do is admit you have an addiction. Well, when you, first thing with depression is if you can see it coming, you can get it before it lands. And, and if you can defeat it before it gets to your, to, to absolute meltdown, can't move, you've already won the victory. And there's certain things you can do, and I'm going to share a lot of those next week, some this week. There's things you can do to save it before you're right, okay? And we're going to look at Elijah today and, uh, and help because he struggled too, right? Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul, right? So on your notes there, I want to give you two statements to set the foundation for this whole thing. Um, number one there, depression is not a malfunction of the mind, it's a signal. It's a signal, and, and, and like I said, if you can catch it before it lands, you've already won the fight. Okay? Um, uh, trust me, there's some biological reasons, there's physical reasons, there's chemical imbalances, whatever, but biology cannot have the whole narrative. We can't say science, right? We went through 2020 in the whole virus, whatever thing, and everybody talked about science. Well, it's like science doesn't have all the answers. Faith can help. God can help, right? But I think we miss the real solution, but we as Christians don't allow God to do some stuff. Because God wants you free, right? The second one, which is the biggest one, that I think people are labeled, right? And there's a lot of labeling going on these days with this whole vaccine thing. But I think some people get labeled, and the second one, my illness is not my identity. Say it with me. My illness is not my identity. Right? And there's a real stigma around this whole depression thing. Right? And I know a lot of you are, right? I'm wearing glasses. And I'm wearing glasses because, you know, my eyes aren't working at optimal uh, process. Right? Maybe they're old, maybe they're tired, maybe I used them too much when they were new, but they're not working all the way at, at optimal performance. Right? So why do people don't look at me sideways when I'm wearing glasses or look at people who wear glasses sideways or think they're nuts or crazy or lacking faith or all this stuff? So why when your mind, which is a part of your body, just like your eyeballs, how come when your mind's not working right, people are like, uh-huh, yeah, they start looking at you sideways, calling you crazy, they think you're not safe? That's the furthest from the truth. Let me tell you something. When, when we decide and, and we see and we get our mind operating at top efficiency, things in your life will change. You say it all the time. And if you've been around the church any amount of time, you know. You get control of your mind, you get control of your life. This controls everything else. Yeah. This controls relationships. This controls what comes out of here. This controls what you do with your hands. Right? Let, let me test it. Let me test it. Right? We're going to test your mind right now. This is real deep. Everybody put one hand up. Right? Your mind works. You have control. So if you can control your physical body with your mind, you can control what your mind is doing by yourself. Are you with me? Right? You know, I love the Bible around here, and um, we want to see what, what's the Bible say about this whole thing, right? And let me start at the, we're going to give you the answer to the 
text at the end by giving it to you now, and that's that Jesus wants you free. It breaks Jesus' heart to see you struggle with your own thought life. And I'm not going to stand here and say, get over it, just get better, because when people told me that when I was younger, I really just, that would get over this, because I'm going to hit you in your face. That does not work. Just getting over it does not work. Just confessing a few scriptures on, on getting, you know, walking by faith and not by sight, and don't trust your feelings and all that. It's a bunch of, it's hard. It does not work. You need, you know, I love what it says in Avengers. I think, what's the guy who flies with the wings? Falcon? Falcon, he used to be a therapist, and he tells uh, the other guy, Winter Soldier, he says, you got to do the work. If you want to beat depression, if you want to get over this hump, you have to do the work. Just getting over it's not going to happen. Just confessing a few scriptures isn't going to work. You have to do the work. Like all the work we got going around here, somebody is going to have to do the work. Amen? I love the Bible because it, uh, it just doesn't have the perfect picture of everybody. You know, they grew up, they were successful, they had lots of kids, everybody was healthy, and then they died and went to heaven, it was great. Far from it, the Bible is full of murderers, it's full of adulterers, it's full of bad people who make bad decisions. Can anybody relate? Come on, somebody, right? The Bible's full of those things. And it says in, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah was, was a prophet, a big prophet, wrote a big old long book, right? And then he wrote Lamentations, which is really just gloom, despair, and agony on me, man. It's terrible the way his heart goes. And then he writes, like in Jeremiah 29, 11, God's got good plans for you, you know, a purpose and a life. And you're going to, you know, all these. He wrote that to people who were in bondage. And then he writes this in Jeremiah, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 17, he says this. Listen to this guy. Tell me this guy's not struggling with his life. He says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I hope for from the Lord I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and my calm. This is good one. And I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Tell me he's not bummed out, right? I mean, he's like a major prophet in all of the Bibles, right? Even the great apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we have experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Despair and agony and pain and suffering on me. Even the prophets in the Bible. We're going to look at Elijah. Elijah had was probably the most important prophet, if you ask any Hebrew or Jewish people, and you ask them who is the most important prophet in the Bible, they won't say Moses, they won't say David, they will say Elijah. Because Elijah, and, and where uh, we're going to look at the story of the prophets of Baal and, and Asherah today, there's a monastery built there with a giant picture of Elijah the prophet standing with his foot on a chest of a prophet and a giant sword in his mouth, in his hand, and he's 
like swinging it. Elijah was the man. He couldn't be defeated. And yet, we'll see today, he suffered under the, this depression thing. And, and how he got out of the cave is what's going to help you get out of the cave today. Right? We see uh, Jesus and Elijah, you know, he represented the prophets at the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? Moses was there, was representing the law, and Jesus was there, and they had that conversation. So Elijah was a big deal, right? But he struggled with depression, right? So in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn over there, we're going to look at that, a little background. We see uh, in chapter 17, Elijah shows up, and, and, and he's one bad dude, man. He just says, I'm declaring a drought on the land. Three years later, it rained. He was one bad dude, right? He, he, the Lord comes to him by the Spirit and says, go see the widow. This is the widow who shows up, right? Got nothing. I'm making a meal for my kids that are going to kick the bucket. And, and then he says, make a, a cake out of flour. And the flour, that, that they kept the flour in, never emptied. The oil never stopped pouring. Mighty miracle of God. They, they just kept going and going and going. And I, if it was me, I would have went in the oil business. Right? Started jarring that stuff up. Would have been wealthy. Remember, there's a there's a drought, there's a famine in the land. And this woman's producing cakes and like, oil and flour like there's no land. I personally believe that the widow of Zarephath, this lady, her son probably ate too much, that's why he got sick and died. Right? But her son kicks the bucket, and here's Elijah on the spot. Doesn't just lay hands on him, he lays his body on him. Raises the son of the dead. Look at Elijah, his rolling in ministry. He's got it going on from the top to the bottom. It's happening for him. Right? Spirit of the Lord comes to him, and he says, hey, go see Ahab. Ahab at the time is the king of Israel. God's taking his hand off Israel because Ahab has... has got idol worship happening, he's got all kinds of weird things, his prophet of, of the prophets of Baal are involved, Baal was a, was a um, pagan king at the time that they worshipped on, on Mount Carmel, he had 450 prophets who were shouting out to him, right, and, and we all know the story, we've heard it before, if you're a preacher, man, Second Kings right here, through these uh, first Kings 17, 18, 19, 20. That's great preaching material. Lots of good stuff happening. Right? They get to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal are there, 450 of them. His wife, Asherah, she has 400 prophets following her. And these are just deities that they're worshiping. Right? Elisha shows up. He says, All right, let's have a contest. He says in there, You choose. You have to choose who you're going to follow. Follow the pagan gods or follow my God. He's by himself. This doesn't look good. It's 850 prophets standing around. What's Elijah do? Builds an altar, gets a bowl, cuts it up, piles up the wood, lays everything out, digs a trench, fills it with water once, fills it with water twice, soaks everything three times. And says, all right, boys, go to it. Call down fire from heaven, from your prophets, from the from Baal, your deity, and say, let it happen. Then the Jeopardy music plays for most of the day because these prophets are shouting, they're jumping, they're running around, 
Elijah's looking at his watch going, man, I need to get to McDonald's. I'm hungry. I got stuff happening. I got to work tomorrow. These guys start cutting themselves, and there's blood flying everywhere. These prophets are doing everything they can to get fire from heaven. Nothing. Nothing. So Elijah prays to God, resets the altar, pours more water in the trench, fills it up with stuff, calls fire from heaven, and slam. Burns up the altar, burns up the wood, burns up the offering. Licks, it says, the Bible says that the fire from heaven was so hot it was licking up the water in the trench. Annihilating everything. How many of you would you call that a pretty good spiritual victory? Yeah. Right? Kind of, kind of got God's ear. You are in, we've all been in that position, right? Where you're walking with God and things are happening. Everything's great. Everything's nice. That was not the end of the story. Look at verse 1 in chapter 19. He says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the prophets with the sword. After that whole process, Elijah took the sword and killed 850 prophets, laid them out flat, not one left. Right? Verse 2, he says, This is the problem. This is where Elijah's life collapsed, right? He got a text message from the king's wife. Facebook messenger, whatever you want to call it. You know, left a note on his Instagram page that was not good. He said, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, referring to the prophets, right? By tomorrow at this time, uh, Jezebel's telling Elijah, I'm coming for you and I'm going to kill you. Notice that she sent a messenger. She didn't, to tell him this, she didn't send somebody to kill him, she sent somebody. And that one word sends Elijah into a tailspin. And when he saw that, right, and this is the way depression works, right, one little thing starts a landslide. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Look what he just did. Did he not have the biggest spiritual week of his life? Raising people from the dead, doing all this cool stuff. When he saw that, he rose and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, where he originally took the oath of ministry and said, I guess I'll be a prophet, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. Very important. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a broom tree. A broom tree is local hay branches where you can get in there and just kind of hide get some shade, and he prayed that he might die. Anybody said that prayer recently? And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father. Six things we can take out of these four scriptures right here, where Elijah collapsed in on himself because one bad thing happened, and that's how it starts. Are you with me? Right? So let's look at these six things. These are six things that pushed Elijah into a cave of depression. Actually, there's five, and I'm going to have one. Right? And we all know that depression, it feels like you're in a cave because you're, you're closed in. It's dark. There's one way in and one way out. And you're just feeling like the world is closing in on you, and there's bats someplace. Amen? Right? There's always bats in a cave. So let's look at this. How many end up in a cave? And if you can see these problems before they arise, you can get control of them. Number one on your notes right there, it says life 
imbalances. Right? You have no margin in your schedule. And, and for me, it's my life to keep margin in my schedule. And it causes a lot of friction sometimes because people ask me to do a lot of things. And the magical words that usually just tick people off, no. no. I'm not coming, I'm not doing that because I need margin in my schedule. This guy, Johan Yari, wrote a book on depression called Lost Connections. He says this, we need to stop talking as much about chemical imbalances and more about imbalances in the way we live our life. Right? It's, it's lifestyle is a main factor to why you struggle in your mind. Because your mind is operating at a thousand miles an hour all the time. Major, uh, Elijah's issues, where he wants to run and hide, he's praying that God takes his life, happened after what, five, six major spiritual victories in his life? Where you would think you would be on the high of highs and there's nothing that could chop you down? Plus, he is busy. He is traveling, right? He's doing things. And, and it's like, um, these major things happen when we are way too fast. Things happen too much. No margin in the schedule. And for me, I'm going to be real vulnerable this week and next week. For me, it's Sunday nights. Sunday afternoons, right? We do church. We have an amazing church service. Right? We go to lunch, laugh, joke, have a good time. And then when I get home, right, it's t-shirt, uh, you know, sweats or shorts, and a movie. And, and what happens is, is that I start thinking about stuff, right? Because my mind's not under control, and I start, well, I should have said that. Man, where was so-and-so today? Why didn't I do this while I was there? Why didn't I talk to that person? I should have talked to that guy. And what happens is this thing starts going backwards. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. But if you don't get control of your self-talk language, you are going to backpedal right into a dark place. You're going to back up right into the cave, and before you know it, you're like, what just happened? And what happens is, a lot of times, um, your mind will follow what you're, what you're telling you. And when you backpedal into that cave, it's too late before you figure out what happens. Right? And um, Stephen Yardy, another guy who, who wrote a book about it, he says, we were never designed for the sedimentary or meaning sitting indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. I think it was Dominic or somebody was telling me that this a lot of the illnesses and sicknesses that we have, that we all deal with in life, is because in the 60s, when fast food really started getting going, we started polluting our bodies with terrible food, with full of additives and other things that aren't supposed to be in there and you feel like crap all the time. But then you add, well, I gotta do this, I gotta do that meeting and do this and that and the other thing. And I go to sleep at midnight and I get up at 5 a.m. Well, I can't do Secret Place today because I'm too busy. Where does the depression come from? Self-inflicted wounds. You do it to yourself. Right, I like Ecclesiastes chapter four. Verse 6, the preacher says this, he says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Just cut it in half. Now, I'm not saying don't come to church and don't participate in small groups because they will help. What I'm saying is half these meetings and half the stuff we're doing, we can cut out and just say, 
no, I'm not doing it. I need some peace. I need some margin. I did this yesterday. Or it was while I was here. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to be here. I'm going to go home and I'm going to check out for a minute. I need some peace in my life. And even ask my family, when I need a break, it's time to go someplace. We are backpedaling out of here. We're going to go sit down and we're going to stare at the sun. Because you've got to, you've got to, you have to back out and take it easy. I love what he says there. Better one handful of tranquility. Tranquility means peace, sanctuary state. Right? My house, my where I live, that's a sanctuary city. Don't come in there with your drama. Because I will escort you right out. Sick my chihuahua on you. It's my peaceful place. I love what he says there. One handful with tranquility, then two handfuls of toil and chasing after a wind. One dollar, here's, here's our mentality as people. One dollar is good, two dollars is bad. Right? One chocolate donut from Harmon's is good, two chocolate donuts from Harmon's. Better. One wife is good, two wives is illegal. <laughs> right? Unless you live in Utah, I guess. Right? So keep things under control. I, you know, my wife, how much I love her, right? She's set her dresser, schedules her own appointments. And she started yesterday at what time? 7.30. I'm complaining about it. I'm like, who schedules your appointments? Right? Who schedules your appointments? Who controls your calendar? Get control of your life. Right? And, uh, number two, I like at the end of verse four, he says, I am no better than my fathers. He said, and that leads us to number two, right? We end up comparing ourselves with others. Comparison is the killer. I like what Theodore Roosevelt said there. He says, comparison is the thief of joy. Let's talk about socialist media for a second. You get on Facebook and Twitter and all the rest, and you're looking at pictures of how great everybody's life is. That's all a lie. And we, we try to compare. Right? And, and we start comparing ourselves with each other. And here's Elijah in there. He's comparing himself to his fathers. Right? And, and we see our, our children who want to have what their parents have. They work 50 years for what they have. It's like, I don't have any parents, so I don't have any comparison to do. So it's like, don't compare to people who are lying about what they have or what they have. You know, they may have cool stuff, but they may be $70 million in debt. And you'd be debt-free and driving a 78 Camaro and be happy. Amen, right? You have any amen right there? It's okay. The socialist media is a lie. I love what Galatians 6, verse 4 and 5 says. Here's Paul writing. And he says, each one, look at your neighbor and say, you're in each one, should test their own actions. Huh. Stay right here. Don't worry about, don't worry about what your friend's doing. I don't, I don't have to, any responsibility in there. Jesus said it this way, you don't have any authority over here. The only authority you have is standing in your shoes. That's your authority. That's your realm. That's your reign. Test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. It's okay to have stuff and be good with it without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Do not compare. You'll never, and, and, you know, this is how this rolls because we're like, 
I'm going to share something with you where you're working and your boss shows up and you're already kind of feeling some kind of way, right? And when I say that, I mean your mind isn't quite right. You're not off the edge yet, but you're getting close. The boss shows up and he says, man, you're really not doing your part. I really need you to bring it up. And maybe your boss, your manager, is in, uh, a terrible leader and a horrible motivator. And he tells you, you need to bring it up and, and get your numbers up with everybody else's. And then he leaves. So what do you do? Let's look at everybody else's number. Here comes comparison. comes in, right? And you're like, okay, my numbers aren't as bad as Joel's numbers. My numbers aren't as bad as Chase's numbers. But Rob's numbers are better than all of our numbers. So what are you doing? You're now comparisoning. When comparison happens, you are now not qualifying yourself in their category because you don't have any, that, I mean, they could be lying. They could be better than you. How about that? That's okay. It's all right. You don't have to be super great at everything. You can be just good at what you're good at. You just went through growth track. You know what your gifting is. Right? When we all stand before God, your parents aren't going to be there. Everybody you compare yourself to isn't going to be there. And maybe God's got you in a certain area for a certain season to do a certain thing that you compare yourself to other people and you're going to take yourself right out of what God wants for you. When we stand before God, our phones and our parents and all the things that we compare ourselves to aren't going to be there. Right? It's a, it's a, a phrase that my mentor when I was young taught me. Uh, Pastor Chris talks about it in his book, but it's called Selective Ignorance. Right? I'd write that down because this is important. Sounds funny, but here's the thing, right? We all strive for knowledge, right? So the preacher says. It is, knowledge is important. Knowing things is important. But how about not knowing some things is important too? Right? If we take selective ignorance, I'm not going to care a lot about most things. Outside, she has my family. Like, I don't care about a lot of things outside my little area. I don't care what, you know, Pastor Jason and the talking about today. Because if I go to their website and listen to their messages and look at what's going on there, what am I doing? Comparing. Train wreck. So I have to be selectively ignorant and not pay attention to those things. Are you with me? Does that make sense? It's okay not to watch the news 24-7 or have your face on um, YouTube listening to a bunch of idiocy. Cleaning that up real well. Because most of it is the biggest bunch of junk I've heard and it's like, what are you talking about? That's not even better. That's right. This should be the balancing act for everything. But most of the time we got our Facebook going and Twitter and that's what we're judging things on. It causes problems, right? Number three, moving along quickly, this is a big one, right? It's ruminating and self-talk. Next week, we're going to read verse uh, 10, where he, where he talks about being zealous for God. And he's like, I am, I'm working on it. And then he goes through a whole bunch of stuff that he has done, which tells me that he's been thinking about this thing. And all of us do it, and this is the biggest hang-up that I have, because when something bad happens, my wife will tell you, I won't let it go. What am I doing? I'm ruminating. 
like a cow is a ruminating animal. What's it do? Takes a mouthful of grass, chews it up, swallows it, coughs it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, coughs it back up, chews it some more. It's ruminating, right? It's going over and over and over and over and over. Right? How many of you know it doesn't get better every time it comes up? Your thought life does not get better every time you bring it up. And here's what happens is now we're offended. Well, I can't believe what Gary said. Do you hear what Gary said? Is it, right? We're driving home in a car. This is not real. This is just a story. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> we're driving home. And it's like, can you believe what Gary said? I can't believe what Gary said. Right? I'm offended. I'm hurt. My heart's hurt. And this is happening. And it's like, my faithful wife says, you're going to chew that up all week, aren't you? And I'm like, no, we're going to pray. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release what was said. It didn't mean anything. It wasn't purposeful. It didn't hurt. In Jesus' name, it's released. Can you believe what others did? I just, I can't even understand how this happens. This is what we all do. And we get that in our mind, and we're grinding it up, and then we swallow it and release it. Thank you, Jesus. And then cough it back up, and we're going to chew it on until I just can't believe you said that. Can you believe that? Sorry, right, Jesus, I release it in the name of Jesus. And it comes again. I just can't believe. And this is what we do. We ruminate, we self-talk, and we grind this stupid crap up forever. We just don't release it. And every time you get over it in your mind, you get a little more angry. So then he doesn't even know what's going on. And next time you see him, he's like, hey, what's up, Pastor? And you're like, now what happened? Then we got a mess. Do not let these things get in your heart and mess you up. That ruinating and self-talking. This is serious. Brian Tracy, who's a motivational speaker, he says 95%, that's kind of a lot, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. 95%. What are you telling yourself. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, everybody told you how, how fat, how slow, how stupid, how dumb you are, all these things that, that when you're a teenager are absorbed into your heart, then you've got to work backwards to get it out. And it's got to do the work. Got to do the work. Right? Philippians 4, 8, and 9, we read this scripture a lot. It should be your refrigerator verse. Right? Meditate on these things. Whatever's true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I like in uh, Romans chapter 8, my personal favorite chapter in the whole Bible, Paul, look what Paul says. For those of you who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the, thing of the, the things of the flesh. But those of you who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Notice he says set, place, nail down. Use a, a rank set and nail that thing down. Set your mind on the good things, on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. I'm offended at what Gary said. You're setting your mind on the things of the flesh. How many of you know your flesh doesn't really matter once you leave this place, right? Uh, number four. Number four is a big one because 
all of us have expectations. Judith Shannon, in her book, Mind Tracks, makes a big deal about this. Two major things that are going to affect you in your life. Projecting, number one. Expectation, number two. If you deal with depression, you're going to have to get a handle on these two things. Number four is the inability to process pain in a healthy way. Right? And, and pain, and Jesus said, you don't have this verse on your, on your refrigerator, right? When you read it every morning, but it's like tribulations coming your way. Woohoo! That's great. So then what happens is, is if you expect it too much or it happens too much, like, oh, it's just my life, everything sucks, uh, 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 what happens is you come to expect those things. Then you're, you're fighting the battle backwards. So when we have the inability to process pain in a healthy way, maybe, like me, you've never been taught how to process pain. Maybe you've never learned how to process when bad things happen to you. That was my story. Everybody told me all these things my whole life when I got old and was angry and drunk. Everybody's like, what's wrong with you? I said, I grew up in a suck house with bad people and everything was backwards. And, and never learned to process pain in a good way. And what happens is when two or three bad things happen in a row, like you get yelled at by your boss, Maybe you get a speeding ticket, or your wife's angry at you. You take those two or three things that start to slide. Then you start the comparison trap, right? When you can't, you can't process this stuff, what's happening is that monster's growing inside of you, and the slide has begun. I think for a lot of times, or a lot of us, once we get sliding, uh, things compound so fast that you can't save it. And then it's a train wreck from there. How many of you know you can say that, right? There's a Jewish psychiatrist back in World War II, his name was Victor Frankl, wrote a book called Man's Search for Me. In that book, he states that um, the goal of life is meaning, having meaning and not pleasure. Now Freud wrote a, Freud's uh, philosophy was man's search for pleasure. Well, if you don't have any meaning, you're going to medicate for pleasure, which is going to start a process that you can't stop. But uh, Victor Frankl had a different approach. It was called local therapy. And us, as a church, believed in this. Because number one was find meaningful work. Find somebody to serve that's going to help you process hurts in a, in a better way if you're serving someone else, right? Number two was find some meaningful friends. Look around you. There's some meaningful friends in this room right here. These people want to pray with you. They want to hug you. They want to, you know, the church family as a whole, Christianity as a whole, is a great thing. It's a great system, right? Number three, find purpose for your suffering. Help somebody else. Are you with me? Can you help somebody else? Can you serve somebody else, right? Yeah. When you know God, discover a purpose, and get busy in serving somebody else, you can help somebody, right? In 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 4 through 6, uh, God comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I always think of Joyce Meyer when I read these scriptures, right? She was abused as a child for 18 years of her life, but now she's changing women's lives around the world with her pain. 
I grew up without a father. How many of you know the Lord put a number? I've had five or six young teenagers when I was a youth pastor in my life who didn't have fathers. So my pain and suffering as a teenager, I got to help kids. One of them's like a son. He's like our third son, Christopher. A lot of you know him. He sings like, he's always singing. It's really annoying, actually. But, <laughs> He's like a third son, and he lost his father when he was a little guy, and I got to be his dad. He lived with us pretty much the whole time. But my pain helped somebody else. So what you're going through can help other people. Number five, quickly, we're out of time. Number five, isolation and loneliness. I'll talk to the spouses for a second. If you are a spouse of somebody who deals with depression, that whole isolation thing, uh, don't be annoying, but help. Help. Say, hey, man, let's go for a car ride. Let's get you not by yourself. Notice what uh, Elijah did there. He's, he says he went on a day's journey and, and sat under a thing. The, the verse before that, maybe the verse before that. I don't know. He says he left his servant there. He left everybody around him, his support team. He split and he went and was by himself. This is the worst thing that you can do. Notice the first Bible, the first sin, or the first problem in all of the Bible, if you start from Genesis 1, wasn't the sin in Genesis 3, it was that man was alone in Genesis 2. God said, we need to fix that. Because men, men, ladies, this is an inside secret coming from a man, it's not good that men are alone. Because when men are alone, they start thinking stupid things and things start working backwards. That doesn't mean that, oh, come on, we're going to be together all the time. That just means keep an eye out and help. Don't hinder, help, right? I always thought that when I first heard social distancing, I'm like, oh, that's not going to be good for people who shouldn't be alone a lot. Then, then social distance, right? And what's government telling you? Yeah, just stay home forever. We'll give you money. Just stay home. That's a terrible idea. We need to gather. Do not... Uh, uh, you know, do not be alone. It's not, it's a good thing to be around other people, whether you like other people or not. And trust me, I struggle in that area. Because people are weird. And they smell weird and breath and the whole thing. It's a thing. Let me tell you, it's a thing. But it's not good that we be alone. Alright? Uh, here's, a, here's a good thing too. When, I, when I'm beginning to slide... I, I gotta go. Uh, and especially if I'm alone, I gotta get someplace. I'll go shopping, I'll go to Home Depot, I'll get in my truck, I'll take my stupid dog for a walk so we can bark at everybody. It's just something. Get out of the environment and get moving. Get outside, right? St. John's work is a, it's not a uh, fix-it tool, but it helps. And vitamin D helps. Sunshine helps. Getting outside helps. When you're in the cave and the walls are starting to close in and the bats are flapping their wings, get outside. Go do something outside, right? Good safety tip. Change your physical surroundings. I like what Romans 12, 5 says, since we are all of one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. You are needed here. What would happen if somebody didn't show up, right? What happened if I didn't show up one day? Right? You're always sitting here going, what are we doing? Nothing happening. Right? You are a critical piece 
to this puzzle, right? And for all of you who have families, you are a critical piece to that family. Can function part of the whole design and the beauty of that family is your face. Right? I think that's what somebody did here. Right? Number six. This is the biggest one in the, in the Christian life. How many of you know that we are made in the image of God? Right? How many of you know that the Spirit of God is inside of you? This number six is it's a spiritual fight. This is a spiritual warfare that we're dealing with. When this darkness closes in, how many of you know the light can push it back out? Right? If I walk back there and turn the lights on here, the light will push the darkness out. Look at that picture right there, and you can see the light creeping in. The light changes everything. Where's the light come from? Right here. It comes from worship music. It comes from preaching, from podcasts, from hanging around Christian people. Right? Do not isolate when it comes time to, uh, to fight the battle. Where two or three are gathered, I am there. Get around Christian people and push the enemy back. Do not let him win. This is something I had to get the hard way when, when my mentor, Scott Meeker, took me by the shoulders physically, accosted me. It was terrible. He grabbed me by the shoulders and he, he said to me, this close to my face, he said, you're letting the enemy win. Stop it. And I'm like, what do you mean? But the spiritual realm runs everything. The spirit, everything that happens in the physical to your mind that, according to Romans 12, says you can renew. And if you're like me, you've got to renew that thing every minute of every day. Because every negative thought that hits you is going to kick your butt. Unless your mind is renewed. Is everybody good? Amen. Right? So here's how this looks. Let me just tell you how this looks. And, and all of this can happen in five minutes. You're working a lot. You're busy. You're, you're a little tired because you've been up late. You've been, your kids are sick. You're doing your thing. You're working hard, right? You're overdone. You don't want to do anything anymore, right? Your boss shows up, tells you you suck because he's a terrible leader. You're way behind everybody else and you got to get your numbers up or we're going to have to make a change, right? And there's a threat involved. So now you've got some a little bit of pressure, a little bit of stress going on in your life. It's Monday. Everybody knows Mondays are terrible. Unless you're off. Right? And all of a sudden, here goes your mind. Man, I just, I don't know about this job. I just can't do anything right. Can't please these people. Right? This is how this works. Right? You're processing. You're not processing what's going on after that conversation in a healthy way. You're, you're, one of your guys that comes in, works for you, says, yeah, there's a roof leak, there's this. I'm like, these buildings are three years old. How can a roof be leaking? Oh, no, there's water coming in. All right, so we got this bad thing. Somebody backs a car into something that breaks a window. So now we've got a string of bad things that are happening. The boss thinks we're an idiot. We can't keep up. I'm doing a comparison track against all the other managers in my job. You see what's happening here? All this happens in about five minutes. You can go from, man, it was a great service yesterday to I suck, I'm terrible, I am the end of the world. You can see where this is going. At this point, medication's not going to help you. Are you with me? Yeah. I don't have anything against medication. Let me tell you something. I took them all. 
And I don't like the way they make me feel. I like to feel like normal, oh, somewhat normal. Me being normal is kind of an weird statement anyway. But I, if you take medication, glory to God. If it helps you, praise the Lord. I'm not against that. But I'm telling you, when this start, starts happening, your self-esteem is nosediving. And you want to be alone is the time that you need to stand up and say, I'm not going to let the devil win. He cannot win. I'm not going to let him win. And here's the other thing. All this can happen in about five minutes. You are primed to make a very bad decision. And you have to get a hold of those thoughts before they land in your heart. Before they go from here to here. And make a good decision. And let me tell you something. If you can see it coming, you can save it. You can see it coming, you can save it, and it's possible, right? I want to give you a chance today to make a good decision, right? We already prayed, but we're going to pray again. Because if you struggle in this area, the first thing that we have to do is, is say yes to Jesus. And I think we're all home folks in here, but let's all stand together and let's just let God be God for a minute, right? Let's let just Jesus have the inside parts, the inner parts. Let God work in the inner parts and let God do his thing. Because if you struggle in this area, it's not a bad thing. We all struggle in every area. But you can win. You can win this fight. And you can win this fight today. You can get the ball rolling because you have the victory. The Bible tells us that the victory has already been won. We just need to realize it in our mind and walk it out in our bodies. So here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes, bow your heads. All of us have had these issues. And, and bad things happen and, and you get to the point of no return. But I want to save you from getting to that point today. And here's how we're going to do it. We're just going to come into agreement and we're going to pray. And it begins with putting Jesus first. And when you put Jesus first, you've already started down the path of getting things under control. Because now you have some place to go when the darkness comes. Remember what I said about the light? Jesus is the light. And when he comes, the darkness has to flee. So we can win the fight by simply saying Jesus. So what I want you to do is to stick your hand up if you, if you believe Jesus is your Lord. Amen. I see your hands everywhere. And we're going to pray in a minute. Right? Say this with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I am relying on you, Lord. I am counting on you, Jesus, to be my light in the dark place. When I'm in the cave, Jesus, lead me out. I am relying and counting I receive you as my Lord, and I count on Jesus. Amen. So now you have a place to go when the darkness comes. Are you with me? So one more thing. If you deal with this and you want somebody to come into agreement with you, we got a couple of people around here who want to pray with you. Right? And you can lay it before his feet today. 
And you can leave it here. You can leave this problem here and mark out freedom in Jesus' name. So if that's anybody in you, want to just be bold. For the rest of us, uh, I just want you to know that you are loved in this place. And if you struggle with depression, you're not weird. You're not crazy. You don't have issues. You're not, you don't have problems, right? It's just our minds aren't functioning like my eyeballs. Maybe you used it too much when you were here. I don't know. But be blessed this week. Have a great week. Operate in the victory that Jesus purchased for you. Amen? God bless you. Have a great week. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to bridgechurchutah.com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.